warning. This show is intended for a mature audience only and may contain harsh language, trans fats, live nudes, and derogatory comments about your mother. Those who are easily offended or have no sense of humor are encouraged to turn off the show now. Parental discretion is advised. My enemies are many. My equals are none. They fear me like a force of nature, a dealer in thunder and death. I say, I am Emperor. You're listening to the Emperor and the Emperor's Court. It's a celebration of mediocrity. All this energy calling me back where it comes from. It's such a crude attitude. It's back where it belongs. All the little kids growing up on the skids. We're going Cleveland Rocks, Cleveland Rocks. Jumpin' Jean Jean and Moody James Dean. We're going Cleveland Rocks. From the shores of Lake Erie to the banks of the Cuyahoga, live from the war room here in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. This is the Emperor's Court here on AlphaGeekRadio.com. I am your host, the Emperor, joined in studio by no one as Lulu is cooking a beef roast as I record this. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is a recording, uh, a recorded show. If the sound quality sounds a little different, it is because it is. Uh, it is not quite as nice. We are not using our broadcast mics, or at least I'm not. I'm using my headset and mic. Uh, if you've been following me on Twitter and or Facebook, as you should be all this time, you are aware that the Omnisia has had some problems. The motherboard, four months old, an Asus motherboard, has apparently fried itself. It is on its way to their uh, repair shop, whatever the hell it is, in somewhere in Indiana. I hope they have it back in about a week, and thereafter, hopefully have the Omnisia back and running. Once that's the case, we can go back to using our regular broadcast software while using while i am still using sam encoder because i do have a key that we used for the whopper uh the windows 10 upgrade that i did for the whopper does not play nicely with the alesis board that we use for broadcasting uh, so rather than spending the next hour trying to jury rig and troubleshoot that piece of shit i'm simply using my headset and mic you can live for a week or two with lower sounding voice quality than you're used to let's be honest you all come here to listen to me talk anyways. Uh, some goings on today. Um, I didn't want to let another week slide by where we didn't have a show. Uh, since I was able to jury-rig this thing and get it going, I wanted to kick something out there. So take this as like a mini Emperor's Court. Uh, there are some topics I want to get to today. I'll bring you up to speed on what we've been up to. But I didn't want uh, time to continue to slide by without a show. It's already been, I think, two weeks, which is very friggin' annoying. Uh, I even had to tell Octale to stop recording segments because we're about three segments behind already for him. What I've been up to lately, uh, as I alluded to a couple weeks ago, um, my time at the sports store has come to an end, or it was supposed to. As it happens, I have to fill in tomorrow night, uh, because the uh, two flunkies that they hired to replace me, that's right, they needed to replace two people to replace moi. Uh, are not fully trained. Uh, we're right in the middle of the busy season, so the 
Owner asked me if I would be nice enough to work an extra night past... Actually, I've already worked two nights now past where I was supposed to. And, of course, I'm going to do that because he's a great guy. Uh, we've had 17 years of very good working relationship, and I, I don't mind. I, I need the time. I need to start concentrating on other things, but I can uh, work one more night uh, to kind of help out. So tomorrow night, Monday, May the 8th, will be my last and final day of employment. I hope doing a second job. So the weeks of 65 and 70 hours a week for the last five years will come to an end. And we'll go back to a much more manageable 50 to 55 hours. So, there's been that. Then there's last night. And I know a couple of you follow me on my personal Facebook because I actually know you in real life, so you know the story I'm about to tell. This weekend... Uh, because Mystic Mim had gone out with other friends, and I had plans that fell through. Uh, because of all the rain, my softball games, the softball season uh, that was supposed to start this weekend, got washed out. Uh, so at the last minute, I was supposed to go out with some buddies who ended up having women problems, girlfriend and wife, respectively. So instead, I decided to drag Lulu out to go to see Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, halfway there, I decided, you know what? Because I had slept most of the day. I worked overtime on Saturday morning for about eight hours. I was exhausted. Actually, as it happens, I still am. And I, we decided halfway there that, you know what? I really don't care to see Guardians of the Galaxy as tired as I am. So we're like, screw it. Let's go to the bookstore instead. Because, hey, I'm out of books. I need books. Somebody answer the damn phone. Thank you. Goddamn. So I decided to go into Barnes Noble and start perusing to see what they've got. While I'm doing that, I suggest to Lulu, hey, why don't you go to the bar down the uh, strip here, because we're at Crocker Park in Westlake. So why don't you go down there? Sit at the bar and have some drinks while I start looking for some books. So, of course, the prospect of drinking alcohol appeals to her, as always. So she says, okay, and does that. So I'm looking at books, and I find a bunch that I like, and I'm going to buy a few. And I'm, I'm actually going to finish up the second volume of, the, of this Frank Sinatra uh, biography by uh, James Kaplan. So I got that, a Warhammer book. Believe it or not, I got a Star Wars book. I know, right? Not really my thing. I don't think I've read a Star Wars book since I was in high school because they were cheap and easy to find. It's something called Thrawn, which I'm a, I'm a big Grand Admiral Thrawn fan. I, all right, you got me. It's a Timothy Zahn novel. I'll buy it. So I got that one. I got a Space Marine book. I got a history book. Uh, I got another one on the Byzantines. Um, I'm going to start reading, so I finish up that one about Theodora. So I've got some books. And I'm taking my time. You know, it's a Saturday night. It's pouring-ass rain. It's about 48 degrees here at the time. There's nobody around. In Crocker Park... Have you ever seen that Simpsons episode where they go shopping in that really upscale place and there's a sign that's kind of over the entrance that says, our prices discriminate because we can't? That's kind of like Crocker Park and Legacy Village here in, in uh, Cleveland. Kind of a, a ritzy upscale outdoor um, establishment. A lot of uh, shops, tons of restaurants, bars, places usually packed, mobbed, even during the winter. But on this particular night, it's crappy, it's raining, it's 48 degrees, it's very cold, it's, it's shitty, it's been raining here for four days. No, that's not an exaggeration, it really has been for four 
days. So I get a text from her about a half hour into my perusing saying, all right, you got to come see this. So I walk down the strip to this bar. I go in, and it's also a restaurant. So I, I get a table where I can see her at the bar because I don't want to interfere with her mojo because she's getting free drinks. Um, and <laughs> there's two black guys hitting on her the whole time. Uh, there was a couple others that uh, just a couple kind of white guys that took a swipe at her. It didn't obviously none of, none of these people were getting anywhere. But you know it's Lulu and she's very chatty and very friendly and easygoing and. And the running joke here is she always makes the comment that it's hard for her to find guys. And yet, if you send her up to drink at a bar by herself, she'll always attract people. Nine times out of ten, for whatever reason that may be, and it's just kind of an interesting demographic. And I don't know why it is. I just think it's kind of cool. It's funny. It's primarily only black guys that hit on her. Nothing wrong with it. She doesn't care either way. Doesn't care what they look like. Laws are good looking. But it's funny to see that that for whatever reason, most white guys just don't give her the time of day. Well, that's not so for this black dudes. <laughs> uh, so there was that. So, I, you know, I, I'm enjoying this. It's kind of a show. It's hilarious. I'm look at my books while I'm munching on something, and it's probably about 10 o'clock we decide we're going to take off. And the movie was at 9, so, you know, it's no big deal. I'm getting home sooner than I had anticipated, or so I had been led to believe uh, going into this. On our way back to the car, it is raining, it is dark, it is cold, it is crappy. There's this ice cream lid... Pierre's ice cream laying on the ground of this rather pristine street that's not dirtied hardly ever. It's kind of like a Disneyland or Disney World type thing where they got people around constantly to clean up. There's not a soul on this street at this time of night at 10 o'clock. Now, if this was, you know, the middle of summer or it was 80 degrees out, you wouldn't be able to move. So she bends down to pick it up and she starts to throw it in a garbage can. And for whatever reason, I just kind of turn my head to the left and in between these two stores, there's this, this little crack, this, this gutter, where the, you know, the runoff from the roof goes on to, and it kind of goes into a drain. And I look down, and there's something staring right back at me. And I said, what the hell, in exactly that tone. She turns, and the next thing I know, it's, oh my gosh! She's flipping over the trash can, she knocked over a flower pot, because there's these flower pots all along the street. And she's wedging herself in between the crack of these two stores to grab this tiny orange kitten who is soaking wet, shivering for all she's worth, maybe eight weeks old. I mean, I asked Duchess McVegan because she's the big, she's the vet. I sent her picture. She's like, yeah, she's about eight, nine weeks. Feral because it starts hissing and took a swipe at, at Lulu's hand, but not to be deadered because, hey... Here's a kitten that needs mothering, and of course, Lulu's a mother. Has her wrapped up in her fleece jacket. Actually, a fleece jacket that I'd given her. And is cooing to it and talking to it. Oh my gosh, David, look at this. Oh my god, we can't leave her here. Yes, I know we can't leave her here. I'm well aware we cannot leave her, leave her here. So, of course, I look up in the sky and like, really? Because, as I'm sure Baron has also commented on his various shows... Somehow, stray cats seem to find their way into our family. 
somehow, some way. So we carry this thing in the rain back to the car, dry it off as best we can, drive all the way home. It's now buried in Lulu's arm, will not move, shivering. It's just happy to be somewhere warm and dry. Get back to the house. We quarantine the thing in the bathroom where it is currently sitting. Gave it a toy, gave it a meal. It wolfed it down like it hadn't eaten in days, and it very well may not have. Drank a whole thing of water. I, I only gave her a little bit of water at a time because you don't want to overdo it. And she's up. She's been in the bathroom meowing her head off. She's just crying for all she's worth. We go in there, try to pet her. She hisses. She lets us pet her. we got to try and get her acclimated to human contact. But since we have three cats in the house, Minerva, of course, foremost among them, we have to keep them separated. <sighs> so I'm like, all right, here's another mouth feed and expense. Got to take her to the vet, get her tested, get her fixed, get her et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even if we want, if we're not going to keep her, even if we want to uh, adopt her out, we're still going to need this. So that's what we end up doing. So, of course, as the night goes on, it's about 11, 11.30 when we finally get home, because we had to stop for some things for this cat. Of course, Lulu is in there the rest of the evening till like 2 in the morning, playing with it, petting it, trying to keep it warm, talking to it, etc. Because if there's something injured or in need of a mother, it is Lulu to the rescue. That's what she does. It is, it is hard-coded into her DNA. So I wake up this morning trying to think of how I'm going to pitch this to Mystic Mim, because Mystic Mim is kind of uh, uh, very adamant against bringing any more animals into the house, which I agree with for the most part. Here's the thing, though, and this is uh, when it really gets back to it, the fault is really Mystic Mim's. It's her fault. She's the bitch that did this. Because we bought a cat tree about a week ago, $100 cat tree, and it goes from the bottom of our floor up eight feet to the top of the uh, ceiling in our living room. And it's off in the corner, and it's huge for the three cats to play on, okay? The problem is, only Minerva will go on it. The other two don't care. And Minerva will only sleep on it when she wants to on occasion. And Mystic Mim, twice now, has made the comment, including yesterday afternoon, when she said, and I quote, you know what, we're going to go get a kitten and put her up there so the kitten can enjoy the, the cat tree and annoy everybody else and annoy all the other cats until they start using it. Nine hours later, son of a bitch, we got a kitten in the bathroom. So I wake up this morning trying to figure out how I'm going to pitch the arguments that we've got to keep the cat. And of course, the Prince Imperial finds out we have a kitten and he's over the moon. He's giving her names. Then it's he. That it, I'm pretty sure it's a she. We Googled it, we checked, I'm pretty sure it's a she. So I've already looked at names. Salvage rights. You know, rights of the law. Whoever, whoever you know, discovered her gets to name her, right? So I, of course, I invoke the time-honored law of finders keepers, so I get to name her. And since we've already established the pattern of using Roman goddess names... Since I couldn't use Greek, as I gave those female names to Eve to use for her sugar gliders, and I don't want to seem weird, like I'm kind of continuing that trend, I went the other way. Roman names. So we have Minerva. Well, it came down to one of three names. 
either Vesta, the goddess of the hearth and home, Juno, the queen that basically Hera, the queen of the gods, or Balana, who is the goddess of war and victory. So I settle on Balana. It makes sense because she hisses at people and she tries to claw at everybody with her very, very tiny, tiny claws. And she doesn't really try to hurt. She's more of a... I'm a pound-and-a-half kitten that's eight weeks old in the land of giants. This morning, after brunch, Mystic Mim, uh, the Prince Imperial, Lulu, and my daughter all crammed into this tiny, tiny bathroom to play with the kitten. Now, imagine if you had 40 to 50-foot beings crammed into this tiny enclosed space with you, all of them looking at you, poking at you, trying to pet your hair on the top of your head, speaking in a language in giant booming tones that you don't understand and have no idea what they're talking about. And oh yeah, you've only been in this world for eight weeks. You get the idea. But they were in there, and they are just playing this cat and chatting her up. So of course, Mystic Mim is holding the line about not keeping the cat. As it is, we've got about $600 worth of future bills for Minerva and Sasha, because they need to have teeth pulled. Five-year-old cats in perfect health except for their damn tooth. So I get it. It makes sense. Well, as it happens, Silk, down in Columbus, Lula's daughter, she's been on the show, you know that. Well, Silk is an animal lover to the nth degree, so she has already... Uh, fell in love with this cat that she has never seen, only on Twitter and on Facebook, and has agreed to take the cat if we're willing to go ahead and get her tested and, and uh, fixed and all that to make sure that she's not carrying, like, kitty AIDS or kitty leukemia or anything like that. So, fine. At least it stays the family. It's going to go to somebody who's going to love her. She's just got to be transported down to Columbus. Or, I don't know, maybe Emily will come up here and get her. So, well, at least the cat's going to go someplace. But, unfortunately... Uh, the Prince Imperial's heart's been broken because he doesn't get a cat of his own. Because now that he's getting older, he likes cats. Well, he likes animals in general, but we have cats. Oh, man. So that has been taking up the majority of my time the last few days. Softball got rained out, which was disappointing. I was looking forward to the start of the season. Apparently, Macron has won in the French election in a landslide. At least that's the news coming out today, which should not come as a surprise to anybody. Look, when push comes to shove, man, you knew the French weren't going to go right. They were not going to go into the right side of the aisle. They would rather implode and kill themselves as they are currently doing and dealing with the issues that they currently have, or suffering the issues, I should say because they're certainly not improving any of them, and they really have no idea how to do it. They'd rather do all of that than try to correct and fix uh, and have a different uh, voice and leadership. So, again, this shouldn't surprise anyone. I certainly knew what was going to happen. Marie Le Pen wasn't going to win the election. The fact that she made it into the number two in the runoff, uh, or the initial election, that right there is, is pretty fantastic for her group. But if you are somehow under the impression, if you're in France or you're one of my European listeners, and I know most of you guys are a lot more liberal than we are here in the States, at least a lot of us are, 
and you're looking at this as a reaffirmation of the European Union and your particular view of uh, how the world should work, that's fine. And I hope it works out for you. I hope you enjoy it. But when it comes right down to it, if you're expecting Macron to have the answer for you and for France, you're in for a very rude awakening. And if you think he's somehow going to reverse the problems that Hollande has put you in after all these years, again, you're very naive. He has no experience. He has no political background. He has no clue. And unlike Donald Trump, who's also those same things, He's not run giant billion-dollar corporations with tens of thousands of employees into success. And he's Olan's personal choice to be uh, continuing on. He got Obama's endorsement. We all know how well that's worked out for the United States. Just be aware. He's got a long road to hoe. And again, you're going to get a lot of pushback, I think, from uh, your Muslim population, which is part of the reason you're having the issues. In fact, that's a big reason. And we're not going to get into that now because that's all politics. But uh, good luck. I think you're going to be very disappointed with what you you elected. But you know what? Nobody else wanted to listen. So, that's happened. Uh, the Cavaliers go for the uh, sweep in round two of the NBA playoffs. They play the Toronto Raptors today. Uh, the Cleveland Indians are, I think, half game out of first place. Uh, they're kind of just meandering about uh, slightly above 500. they They're playing the Royals. I've yet to go to a game this season. Uh, the only tickets I had to the game that a buddy of mine gave me, since he wasn't able to make it, I ended up passing off to Mystic Mim and Lulu. It's a nice 80-degree day, and they got to enjoy a ball game. And we won. A huge win, too. Like 12 runs. On the home front, nothing else really going on. I've been playing Dawn of War 3, which uh, has actually been rather disappointing. Not as bad as Gothic War or, uh, Battlefleet Gothic Armada, which was an absolute disgrace of a game. Uh, it's just, it's nothing as I had envisioned. It's nothing that they kind of were hinting at, and it's nothing that a Dawn of War and Warhammer 40k fan was really hoping for. Uh, if you're one of the patrons of my show... Uh, I have a 30-minute audio that just... I think it's 30 or 35-minute audio that's going up today that's recorded. In fact, I could probably do... Well, no, I'll wait till the show's... I'm done recording with this. That'll be up today that you can download um, since I've got the uh, Whopper running to a degree. You can go and listen to my 30-minute breakdown of why you're not going to want to buy that game and the reasons behind it and the solutions that I give not only for purchasing the game but also on how to fix it. Uh, So there is that. I have another one coming up for patrons as well, and that does not include the several that are, sorry, the two that are already trapped on the Amnesia that I'm not going to get back until the motherboard is fixed. Let's see. Uh, I do have some video game articles I want to get to, some news. We have three You've Been Tolds in the books uh, sitting in the can. We're going to play one today because uh, we're kind of backed up on those. Uh, so let's get right down to it. Uh, I don't have a ton of time today. I want to make sure we get some stuff in here. One thing I do have planned for the rest of the evening, uh, today, this being Sunday the uh, 7th, 
Uh, we have a Groupon that my aunt, of all people, got for me and for the kids for this uh, pinball and arcade shop that opened up in a nearby city. That's supposed to be really cool. And I think it's open until 8 o'clock tonight. And uh, uh, the Prince Imperial has been really chomping at the bit to go to an arcade because he likes, quote, I like the old school games, Dad. I like old school games. Let's play Nintendo. Let's play the Genesis. Because he can't say Genesis. Let's play the Sega. I like old school games. So we're going to take him to an arcade. An actual, real arcade. Dave & Buster's is probably as close as you're going to get. Chuck E. Cheese to a lesser degree. But this is an old school cabinets arcade. So we're going to go do that. But this one from NBC News. Uh, and this one happened uh, earlier this week. Donkey Kong, Halo, Pokemon, Street Fighter 2 inducted into the video game Hall of Fame. By the way, I'm still waiting on my invitation uh, to the Hall of Fame induction ceremony for me as one of the original broadcasters of video games, play-by-play, and esports. Still waiting. Now, in case you're confused, this is not the video game uh, uh, Hall of Fame that's in Ottumwa, Iowa, which is where Mystic Mim's parents live, and she will be in next weekend. Uh, this one is in the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, New York. All right, quote, Mario has made it to the top thanks to the World Video Game Hall of Fame, which inducted Donkey Kong on Thursday, along with Halo Combat Evolved, Pokemon Red and Green, and Street Fighter t- Red and Green, and Street Fighter 2. The organization, based at the, quote, Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, New York, credited video game legend Shigeru Miyamoto with creating the idea of a story-driven game when he designed Donkey Kong in 1981. Quote, Its overarching narrative of love and its vibrant graphics brought the game to life in a way that few other games could in the early 1980s, said John Paul Dyson, director of the museum's International Center for the History of Electronic Games. Halo Combat Evolved put Microsoft Xbox console on the map when it made its debut in 2001. In an era when PC games dominated the first-person shooter genre, it still does, Halo proved a console could be just as effective as a platform for these games. I highly disagree with that statement, but this is not the time for that. The two Pokemon games named for Pocket Monster Eka, red, and Midori, green, proved that Cute would would appeal to non-Japanese audiences when they released in 1996, according to the museum, which said they quickly became the best-selling video role, best-selling role-playing video games of all time, selling more than 23 million copies worldwide. The museum said Street Fighter II was chosen because it paved the way for fighting games like Mortal Kombat, Tekken, and Super Smash Bros. Uh, it's only the third year that Strong, which has run the National Toy Hall of Fame for almost two decades, enshrining such standbys as The Rock... The box and stick alongside classics like Barbie, Monopoly, and Legos has honored video games. The backlog of Immortal Games still waiting in line includes Mortal Kombat, Myst, Portal, Resident Evil, Tomb Raider. All finalists this year. The previous inductees are the following. Doom, Pac-Man, Pong, the original Super Mario Brothers, Tetris, World of Warcraft, Grand Theft Auto 2, Sonic the Hedgehog, Space Invaders, The Legend of Zelda, The Oregon Trail, and The Sims. That's it. Now, I don't see any problem with the ones listed here. Uh, all these are, are 
worth it to go ahead and put into the Hall of Fame. I think that there are other games more deserving that should go in first. Uh, groundbreaking games. Uh, games that kind of pave the way. I mean, Doom, that's kind of cool, except Wolfenstein kind of paved the way for Doom. That should be there first. Uh, I think Quake should be there. Uh, I mean, without Quake, you wouldn't have Halo. Hell, without Quake, you wouldn't have any multiplayer first-person shooter. Yes, I know Doom had it. But Doom was primarily one-on-one. And it did not have a very large audience because it was difficult to get people to play it that had a system and an internet connection. Quake changed all that. Warcraft 2 changed... Warcraft 2 put RTSs on the map as far as multiplayer goes. I mean, you might be able to say Warcraft 1, they had a great storyline, so did Warcraft 2, but Warcraft 2 also had multiplayer. And that's the nice thing about a Hall of Fame. And this is the same in regular sports as it is in this, is that there's really, in a lot of ways, there's no right or wrong answer. And there's a lot of valid opinions out there, and it's always fun to try and hatch it out. So that's kind of cool. Again, this isn't the same one as the Ottumwa, Iowa Hall of Fame, which I don't think even has a building. That they're just kind of, you know, moving along there. But, again, I, uh, I await my invitation. Now, much long overdue. Now, come to think of it, I don't know how... I, I completely switched train of thought. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 box office. It never even occurred to me to look to see how well the movie's doing. I'd say it's done fairly well. <laughs> Opening estimates right now, as this being Sunday, so the estimates should be pretty good. $154 million opening domestically for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, the Disney Marvel tentpole is kicking off the summer box solidly, although the figure is coming in slightly lower than recent forecasts, which pegged the launch above $150 million. Okay, it says 154 so... Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 accounted for 85% of Friday's total box office. It's the second second biggest launch weekend for a 2017 movie from after Beauty and the Beast, which opened 174, and the fifth largest opening for Disney's Marvel film movies franchise. Should estimates hold? Okay, here's the problem. The 154 million I saw was the estimate given uh, today. This article from Variety was written yesterday, so the numbers are in. It actually exceeded expectations, if only slightly. Should estimates hold, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 will finish the weekend about 50% above the opening of the original Guardians of the Galaxy, which opened at 94 mil. Uh, Chris Pratt as Star-Lord, yeah, yeah, everybody else, Dave Bautista, etc. Vin Diesel as Groot, okay. 2014 film was a relatively unknown property that caught out among audiences on its way to a 330 million domestic and 400 overseas. I don't... It's got an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, which uh, for a sequel, especially in a a superhero-rich kind of superhero fatigue type genre, is pretty solid. That's very good, actually. I'm guessing it has not opened up internationally because I don't see any uh, worldwide numbers, or at least maybe it hasn't opened up large enough overseas to make a difference yet. Uh, 
I got to be honest, I have not seen the first one all the way through. I've only seen about 20 minutes of it. I mean, I know what's going on. I, I'm aware of how the, the comics and all that went. But I haven't seen it. So there's that. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, from ScreenRant.com. 15 video games that were changed due to controversy. All right, well, I know of a couple, but let's see. There was a time when gaming's uh, very existence was a controversy. Nameless, concerned parents everywhere saw the medium as the ultimate evolution of rock and roll, television, and comic books. Surely this brain-rotting form of entertainment will breed the brain-rotting form of entertainment that causes the young of the world to do drugs, rebel, or do whatever it is that parents fear kids will do with too much free time. Oh, I don't know, kind of like getting guns running down the street and shooting random people because they have been indoctrinated into violence. Isn't that always the thing? Violent video games will turn your kids violent, despite the fact that there's no definitive uh, scholarly proof to that effect. And everybody's tried. There's always somebody that's out there screaming about it. Think of the children! Well, somebody think of the children. And you know what? I think video games, even today, are still controversial in that regard. Um, as a parent, I will tell you that I limit uh, the Prince Imperial's time when he's playing the iPad or he's playing games on the uh, uh, the Nintendo console or the Genesis. I do limit it. And if it's a nice day, he's outside with me, either taking batting practice or we go on a walk, or we go to a playground, something. I, I really do limit how much time and access he has to video games. Now, in the winter, well, that's a little different, especially if it's too, out, too cold outside to go and do anything if there's too much snow, or in the case of the last three or four days where it has rained nonstop. Then that's an exception to the rule. He can go ahead and play games. But even then, you know, I, I was able to find in Iowa City, South Dakota a set, a full set of um, uh, crossbows and catapults. Yeah, for anybody who grew up in the 80s, you know what I'm talking about. It's a it's a board game that, kind of, basically all you need is a flat surface. Uh, primarily like a hallway or um, uh, something like that. Where you can get like linoleum or or tile or something like that that you can use. And what it is, is you build a fort using these blocks on either side, and then you put them, uh, you can build the fort on this little placard that you put on the ground, all right? And then you can surround it with flags and uh, soldiers. In the original game, it was Trojans versus the Greeks. And uh, there's been a couple different uh, different versions of it that's come out over the years. Uh, nothing recently. They tried bringing it back in the late 90s, and it never really took off. The uh, version they released was kind of chintzy and crappy, and no one really liked it. But the original game, for those who still have it, and they go for a fortune on eBay, like a full, like a complete set, just an absolute fortune. Anyway, so this one had like extra, extra, well, I probably should finish how the game's played. So you build a fort, you put your little flags, you put your castle in the middle and surrounded by this, this wall of, of bricks. On either side, um, and it's determined by basically uh, a set amount of, of space. For the fact that I'm playing with a four-year-old, we kind of ignore that. 
But on the opposite side, um, what you do is you've got these, a catapult and a crossbow. In this case, there's a couple other ones that are, uh, they're bound up by a, um, whatchamacallit, a, a rubber band. All right. So you really, if you double these things up, you pull it back, you put this, this plastic little disc in the middle. And you use it to shoot, and across, you know, you shoot it at the other guy, and you try and knock over their buildings, uh, their bricks, and you try and knock over the buildings, knock over the guys, and that's how you win. So he is all about this because, hey, you get to build a fort, then you get to destroy it. And, hey, if I really loop up this rubber band, I can shoot it pretty far and hit Dad in the face, and that's hilarious. So, again, I try to limit him as to how much he has in video games, but I digress. While most video game controversies last about as long as the time it takes for someone to start yet another online petition that we're certain is going to change everything, a few controversies have a much longer shelf life. They fester until the game itself becomes so closely associated with the controversy in question that those behind the creation of the game have no choice but to alter their product in a way that will hopefully ensure that people will just focus on the game itself. Sometimes it works, but many of the games in question simply go on to achieve fame as that title that was forever altered by controversy. So number 15, Atari changes gotchas breast-like controllers. This is the oldest controversy on the list and one of the most darkly amusing tales of PR terror. Gotcha was released in 1973 during the very early days of the arcade industry. It was a very simple game about a young woman trying to escape her pursuer through a maze. Were it not for the fact the game shipped with breast-like shaped controllers, Gotcha could easily become just another forgotten video games of the 70s. And yeah, that's exactly what they look like. They're pink, they're exactly the size and shape of like a double D breast. In fact, they even have a chick on the uh, cover of the game. Yes, a game about a young woman being chased by a mysterious man was originally controlled with pink dome-shaped devices designed to invoke thoughts of breasts. The rumor is that one of Atari's designers decided to develop breast controllers in response to a joke regarding the phallic nature of traditional joysticks. Phallic nature. His social commentary attempts did not go over well. Atari was forced to redesign the cabinet to include the aforementioned phallic joysticks. I'm guessing if any of those still exist in their original uh, design, they're probably worth a fortune as a collector's item. Number 14. All right. No, Prince Imperial is coming out. I think he just woke up from his nap. He wants to go to the arcade now. We'll go in a little while. Tracer's butt pose is removed from Overwatch. We go from the oldest controversy on this list to the most recent. Around the time of Overwatch's official launch, a group of gamers took to the internet, it was one, not a group, to register their disgust over Tracer's over-the-shoulder victory pose. Their argument was that this pose took a female protagonist who had arguably become the game's mascot and reduced her to a gratuitous butt shot. The pose sparked a great deal of debate that was eventually ended by Overwatch director Jeff Kaplan. According to Kaplan, a few members of the design team weren't really that crazy about the pose in the first place, and they certainly didn't like hearing that some fans felt alienated by it. As such, they decided to change the pose to a very similar but slightly more modest version of the stance. 
And as we all know, that stance was a pinup girl from the 1940s that, in many ways, is even more sexualized than the original. But, unfortunately, Blizzard didn't have enough balls to stick by their comment. Number 13, Nintendo changes the design of Pokemon following racist allegations. Nobody could have predicted that a global, that a, what a global phenomenon the Pokemon series would become. What started as a small project designed to recreate the thrill of bug catching soon became a blockbuster. Once Pokemon spread outside of Japan, however, Nintendo was suddenly staring down the barrel of a character controversy that seemed to genuinely catch them off guard. And they're no strangers to public backlash, mind you. According to some gamers, the Pokemon Jinx was a dead ringer for the blackface character stereotype. Some even went so far as to say that Jinx was a parody of transgender people as well as the obese. However, the blackface allegations seemed to hit the hardest. Some claim that Jinx's design is based on a combination of mythological figures and Japanese youth culture trends. The idea that Jinx was an inherently racist character had already taken root. Nintendo eventually changed Jinx's base color from black to purple in an effort to quell the controversy. My problem with this is Japan doesn't, I mean, not exactly a a, a diverse uh, country by any means, but Japan didn't have an anti-black racism issue like the United States has had before, to my knowledge. I, I... I, that's a stretch. But leave it to America to have a problem with something. Number 12. A single word forces Nin- Nintendo to recall two games in the UK. While Jinx is one of the most notable examples of Nintendo getting blindsided by specific cultural differences, that is far from the only one and the only time that they and other developing studios have had to modify the game. One of the best examples of this phenomenon is Nintendo's former fondness for the word spastic. They used this word in the 2006 game Mind Quest, or Mind Quiz, and the 2007 title Mario Party 8. While 99% of the world thought nothing of the term, UK gamers were caught off guard by its appearance in a Nintendo product. What? What's that? Who's that? That's Mario. Who's this? That's Toad. Who's this? Alright, who's this? Mario. Well, no, that's Princess Toadstool. Who's this? That's Donkey Kong. That's right. Who's this? Uh. Uh, That's Wario. That's okay. Who's this? That's Yoshi. That's Yoshi. Not Oshi. It's Yoshi. Is that a Pokemon? Um, yeah. That's Jinx. That's right. That's a Pokemon. I don't think you know the rest of these. We'll see. Let me me keep going and see if I can find another game that you know. She's got boobs? Yeah, I guess she does. Controversy! I got tiny boobs. You have tiny boobs? You have tiny boobs? Well, shoot game. Well, yeah, that's that's Splatterhouse. Splatterhouse? Yeah, it's Splatterhouse. Why? I don't know. That's a game that's... I'm trying to remember what I that think... That's game about... That's for the old Turbo Graphics or something. That game about zombies... Oh! Remember you had that? Yeah, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. We uh, had that. I want to get that game. All day, free play shoot. for four players. Only four players? Salter's Full Blast Arcade. Arcade? Mm, yeah, we're going to go to the arcade. It's another number recording in the show, okay? A show? Yeah, I'm recording a show. That's why I got the microphone on. 
See? Alright. Go upstairs so I can finish recording this. You're going to stretch? Okay. All right, so back to the word spastic. Uh, apparently in the UK, the word spastic is a derogatory term that is used to insult someone by suggesting they are mentally handicapped. All right, so they basically call them retarded. These games were later recalled, and at least in the case of Mario Party 8, spastic was swapped out for the word erratic. Uh, number 11. Left for Dead 2's original cover sends a very strong message in the UK. Wow, I thought Americans were a bunch of pussies. Apparently the Brits are just as bad. Just to show you that Nintendo isn't the only company that has had to deal with the cultural misunderstandings, let's look at Left 4 Dead 2 and Valve's art. See, the original Left 4 Dead's cover featured a zombie hand holding up four fingers with its palm facing inward. This cover drew much more acclaim than controversy. Naturally, Valve decided to recreate, recreate the design for the cover of Left 4 Dead 2, but this time, they had the zombie hand only hold up two fingers. As it turns out, that particular gesture was very different in the UK. For those who don't know, the image featured on the original Left 4 Dead cover is a dead ringer for a gesture used in the United Kingdom to express similar sentiments that those who raise their middle finger wish to express. All right, I happen to know in England, they still use the middle finger, because that's where it originated from. Naturally, Valve decided to release an alternate version of that cover for the UK market. Number 10, Peter Dinklage's entire performance is removed from Destiny. We all know this one. Casting decisions are almost always controversial. When is the last time you remember the internet collectively deciding that a particular actor is, in fact, the perfect choice? Yet, very few people balked when it was revealed that Peter Dinklage was going to play your robot companion in Destiny. This announcement came around the peak of Game of Thrones popularity, that gamers everywhere loved the idea of touring the galaxy with Tyrion freaking Lannister at their side. Once those same gamers actually played Destiny, however, they began to realize and they were some, some of those same players were about as enthusiastic as Peter Dinklage seemed to be when he was recording his lines. While there are Destiny players who feel Dinklage did a fine job, many more couldn't help but feel that his slightly bored, very dry line re- readings hindered the overall experience. Eventually, Bungie decided to have the veteran voice actor Nolan North re-record Dinklage's lines and play the character going forward. Number 9, Bioware changes Mass Effect 3's ending following mass disappointment. And we've done this uh, episode a couple different times, haven't we? While most video game controversies are based on some kind of offensive material or culture misunderstanding, this one, much like the Destiny's alternate design alteration, is based on crushing disappointment. To make a 100-hour-long story short, many players felt that Mass Effect 3's endings failed to live up to the many of the promises developed Bioware had made. Uh, That seems kind of clunky in how they wrote that. In fact, some felt that the oddly constrained nature of the game's conclusion constituted false advertising. In a shocking move, Bioware decided to actually go back and redesign the endings. Kind of. What they did was release, of course, a DLC add-on for Mass Effect 3 that expanded upon the game's endings and added some new story content throughout. The reaction to these alterations was a bit mixed. Some loved new endings, Many more, I'm sorry, some even love the original endings. But a many more and a new contingent of players emerged who felt that the extended take on these conclusions created even more problems. 
They can't please everyone. All right, now, hang on. I know we've done this this story a couple times. And the whole DLC, you know, released the same time the, time the game is, only to find out that they were lying when they said they hadn't worked on it during the development of the original game. And it was in, it was actually uh, enclosed with the, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, the, uh, uh, the CD. Bottom line is, they had a shitty story. Nobody liked it. Nobody liked the way it ended. And they, they fought back on it, and they pushed back on it, and they said everybody was just being a malcontent and a hater until it got so bad that they had to try and go back and make you pay for the ending that you're supposed to have gotten. Only to have that ending suck. So that's a bit of a bullshit that you can't please everyone. Maybe that's true to a degree. But you didn't please anyone in this instance. Number eight, Medal of Honor briefly lets you play as the Taliban. For years, Valve's Counter-Strike series has amused some gamers who can't help but chuckle at the celebrity voice line, Terrorists Win. You see, Counter-Strike's multiplayer mode pits a counter-terrorist team against a terrorist one. Medal of, our 2010's Medal of Honor was not so lucky. Medal of Honor also let players choose a terrorist faction in the game's multiplayer mode, but they went so far as to specifically identify the game's terrorists as members of the Taliban. Many people, especially military families and military members, felt it was incredibly insensitive to allow gamers to achieve victory as a specific terrorist group who many military units were currently at war with. Eventually, Medal of Honor's developers changed the game so that the former Taliban were now simply referred to as an opposing force. How about you just make them generic terrorists? Number seven. Lines from the Quran force Sony to delay and patch Little Big Planet. Now, this one I am not familiar with. When you think of controversial video games, you don't typically think of a title like Little Big Planet. For those who never played it, it's a puzzle platformer game that is notable for its world building system and generally wholesome nature. Um, despite seemingly being one of the most family friendly titles on the market, Sony ended up having to recall millions of copies prior to launch. As it turns out, the original version of Little Big Planet featured an uncensored version of a song that contained lines from the Quran. Why does it matter? Well, depending on who you ask, it may or may not matter at all. Some Muslim gamers, including a user on the Sony forums who first spotted the song's inclusion, feel that using lines from the Quran is a, in a song is akin to belittling the meaning of the Quran's words. My aside, and we'd never want to do that, would we? While not everyone holds to that belief, Sony decided to take the hit, recall Little Big Planet days before its launch, and modify the game's music to remove all lyrics from the song in question. And I'll tell you the probably the reason why is this. If you piss me off or people like me, the most we're going to do is probably boycott your product. If you piss off these Muslims and they're going to hunt you down and behead you. Big difference. Number six, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas' hot coffee mod causes Rockstar to take action. Here's another one that we're willing to bet many gamers remember well. It would be impossible to break down the full list of Grand Theft Auto-related controversies in this one little entry. Needless to say, Rockstar's open-world game about theft and destruction has ruffled some feathers over the years. At some point in the development of Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, Rockstar toyed with the idea of including a sex minigame 
that would allow you to interact with your in-game girlfriends in a fairly predictable manner. They ultimately decided not to include the minigame, but San Andreas shipped with the minigame assets still included. Some gamers found the assets, recreated the sex minigame, and activists everywhere lost their collective minds. Eventually, Rockstar decided to just remove the content from the game entirely via a patch. Now, that's stupid on Rockstar's point, on, on their end. Bottom line, if you're going to go ahead and remove something because you don't think it's going to go over well, you think it's going to come back to bite you in the ass, then you fucking remove it. In this day and age, and even back then, you should know better than to go ahead and release a game with the material still on the drive or on the disc because you know someone's going to do a data mine, they're going to find it, and they're going to use it. And tell me that wasn't deliberate on Rockstar's uh, uh, end to try and get people to talk about it. Uh, okay. Just looking at something there. <coughs> okay, back to it. Number five, Splatterhouse's home version is basically an entirely different game. I remember this one as a kid. Yeah, it was Graphics 16. I never had it, but a buddy of mine did. Grand Theft Auto is a good example of a video game franchise that is both brilliant and controversial. But there are many more examples of contentious games with which are not really notable outside of the public backlash they created. The 1988's beat-em-up Splatterhouse isn't entirely devoid of merit, but the game was clearly designed in an attempt to capitalize on the success of the slasher genre by allowing gamers to traverse horror environments and viciously murder their occupants. It was a gory love letter to the horror films of the era. Well, at least the game's arcade version was. When it came time to port Splatterhouse to the TurboGrafx-16 and the PC... The developers were required to make so many content cuts that they basically had to create an entirely new game. Meat cleavers were changed to wood sticks. I remember that. The Jason Voorhees-like hockey mask that the main character wore was changed to a copyright-friendly generic red mask. The blood was removed almost entirely. Entire boss fights were redesigned. The game's ending was completely rewritten. In fact, the North American version of the game got it even worse as developers were forced to remove every reference to anything vaguely religious. I remember this controversy too as a kid. Number four, Mortal Kombat's gore is removed from the console edition, unless you know a secret code. Basically what they did is they colored it brown so it looked like barf instead of blood. Few games have generated the fear, the sheer amount of controversy that the original Mortal Kombat did. Mortal Kombat was released at a time when activist groups everywhere suddenly became very concerned about how violent video games might affect impressionable youths. Naturally, a game all about brutality, I'm sorry, brutally beating up your opponent and dismembering them did not go over well with that particular crowd. As a compromise, Midway Games agreed to completely remove the blood from Mortal Kombat's Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo ports. However... Unlike Splatterhouse, which was were ironically butchered until they no longer resembled the base game, not all of Mortal Kombat's ports were censored equally. While both versions of the game shipped with the blood replaced with sweat and the game's most noteworthy fatalities removed, the Sega Genesis version of Mortal Kombat shipped with a special cheat code that allowed players to experience the game in its unaltered bloody gory. I'm sorry, bloody glory. This code achieved mythical status and helped the Sega Genesis version earn its reputation as the definitive way to play the game at home. 
Number three, Thrill Kill is canceled due to overwhelming controversy. I've never heard of this. Following the successful uh, arcade release of Mortal Kombat, developers everywhere began to make gory fighting games of their own. Thrill Kill was an ultra-gory fighting game designed to replicate Mortal Kombat's success. As in the case with many pieces of entertainment, they're trying to build upon an established property. The developers of Thrill Kill decided to raise the ante. Thrill Kill made the arcade version of Mortal Kombat look like the Super Nintendo version of Mortal Kombat. It was filled with BDSM, ultra-violence, extreme cursing, and every other exploitation film stable its developers could fit into the code. Before the game was even released, it became known as the most controversial video game ever made. Eventually, publisher Electronic Arts, naturally, decided to pull the plug on the finished game and never release it. Since then, bootleg versions of the title have been released via various formats. Rest assured that if you've never played the game, you're not missing out on anything special. Number two, Propeller Arena is cancelled because of of an unfortunate release date. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Yeah, okay. The AM2 division of Sega's development team had a brilliant idea for a video game. They saw how successful competitive online shooters like Quake 3 and Unreal Tournament were and decided to develop a similar experience. The twist was that their online shooter game would be based on plane-to-plane dogfights. They got the green light to develop this project, spent months building a final version, and were prepared to release it on September 19, 2001. You've probably just spotted the problem. Yes, Sega was about to release a game about plane combat just eight days after the 9-11 attacks. What really killed the project, though, was a specific multiplayer map called Tower City, which allowed players to crash into buildings. It didn't help that the game's cover showed planes flying over an all-too-familiar urban landscape. Even though Propeller Arena was finished by the time the 9-11 attacks happened, Sega decided to cancel the game and never release it. It has since been leaked onto the internet and is considered to be a hidden gem. And finally, number one. The 9-11 attack causes known and unknown changes to Grand Theft Auto 3. The horrific terror attack on September the 11th changed the design of Grand Theft Auto 3. That much is certain. What's less certain is quite how much the game was changed by the attacks. According to Rockstar, they ended up changing the game's box art, a mission that referenced terrorists and a few minor cosmetic things in response to the fallout from the terror attack. Officially, that's all that was changed. Unofficially, gamers have long suspected that Rockstar altered much more than just a few minor cosmetic assets. The most fascinating rumor concerning 9-11's effect involves the functionality of the game's one flyable plane, the Dodo. Those who played Grand Theft Auto 3 will remember that the Dodo was nearly impossible to fly. It was almost as if Rockstar didn't want gamers to fly the plane at all. Actually, there are many who suspect that that's exactly what they intended. The rumor is that Rockstar clipped the wings in order to prevent gamers from recreating the 9-11 attacks in the game's fictionalized version of New York City. This rumor is seemingly supported by a hastily thrown-together in-game explanation for why the Dodo's wings are clipped and the fact that the Dodo is a perfectly functional aircraft in every other Grand Theft Auto game. I guess that would work, but why not just remove it all together if that was the case? Why keep it in the game at all? And you do, if you look at it, it's the wings are about maybe a third as long as they normally would be. Uh, there's no problem with it. 
Huh. I, I'm, I'm, I actually had some fun with that one. There's a couple of that I did not know of. Awesome. Okay, I can hear the Prince Imperial upstairs already. He's chopping at the bit to go to this arcade, so I guess I'm going to cut this thing a little shorter than even shorter. So you get an hour in per score. Don't complain. You shouldn't have anything at all. I'm still waiting on my damn computer. All right, folks. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. If it was not for you, we would not be doing this. I want to thank GnomeWise for hosting us on AlphaGeekRadio.com. Uh, I want to thank our patrons for going ahead and uh, forking over the money so we can keep doing this. If you would like to become a patron, please join us. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. We are Everest Court. You can get in the door for as little as a dollar. The more you spend, the more you get. Uh, follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Emperor's Court. Uh, Scrub Puppy, as always, is, uh, for the most part, posts on the Facebook page. Funny stuff when I don't have a chance to. Uh, also, thanks to Octail uh, for uh, doing the uh, You've Been Tolds. We have three in the can we're going to start using with the next show once we get the uh, actual broadcast rig back. Follow him on Twitter at the Octail. All right, folks, hope you enjoyed it. Bad manners are better than no manners at all. So long, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>